Storms, a hurricane, and a touch of philosophy. This is Way Over Our Heads, a weather and climate podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's a climatologist. Kenny, how you doing? Oh, it is a beautiful Labor Day morning here, isn't it? It certainly is. So I should wish you and wish everyone happy Labor Day. And also, uh, we should maybe uh, celebrate or perhaps lament the end of meteorological summer that occurred on the 31st of August. Oh, yes. Yeah. The, <laughs> and, and so we are... You know, there's a few different ways of talking about the seasons. We can we can get into that. But isn't it a lovely morning? It really is. It feels right now, and I, I felt this way. I got up pretty early this morning, and it feels doesn't really feel autumnal. It feels kind of like a, a summer day. There's a little bit of humidity in the air, maybe not just a little bit, maybe a lot, <laughs> which we'll talk about later and why that's important. But, yeah, it's really a beautiful morning. Yeah, and I was as I was heading over here, I was walking and I thought I wonder how many of these outdoor podcasts Jim and I have left before we run back to town hall <laughs> exactly. lanes and, and bar for our uh, for Seeking our winter shelter right, right. Yes. well let's hope a couple more months at least sure but Kenny we've got a lot to talk about today first of all let's talk about some uh, potential severe weather coming our way later today yeah this is a really interesting one uh you know, summer is over, but try telling that to the weather charts. There's actually, uh, in some ways, it actually isn't a particularly summer-like pattern. But the bottom line is the northeastern half of Minnesota, basically along I-94, and especially a little bit to the north, under the gun or under at least a pretty substantial risk for strong, if not severe, thunderstorms and also heavy rain, uh, that would be overnight so that is labor day night in the hours between labor day and the first day of school for, yes i guess for most not all people right. some people were back to school already but uh kind of makes me wonder uh, a little bit what what is summer if it actually if labor day is really the last day of summer and the first day of school is in sort of the first day of fall what do you call that night in between which would it be the interregnum? No, No, that's a good question, Kenny. Well, you know, there's so many measures of when a season transitions. You know, we've talked about the difference between astronomical seasons and meteorological seasons. And as we just mentioned, uh, we are now in meteorological fall. That began yesterday, September 1st. We also have the, uh, the astronomical measurement, which, of course, is the autumnal equinox, which is coming up later this month. But, you know, school, I mean, there's also events that we often associate with the transition of seasons, like the end of the state fair yeah, today. Right, right, the end of the state yeah. fair. And we kind of do the same thing with winter, too, right? I mean, we have the uh, astronomical winter beginning on the what, 21st or 22nd of December or 20th. And then I always, by the way, I always get those exact dates wrong. It's like the one thing I definitely do not know with any certainty. It's it's within that period between the 19th and the 22nd, always. But then we have, you know, meteorological winter begins on December 1st. But if you ask a lot of Minnesotans anyway, they, they will tell you that winter actually begins with the first sticking snowfall, which in northern Minnesota often comes in early November, if not even maybe sometimes late October. Uh, and some people say, well, it doesn't matter. It, it really begins on Black Friday on that day after Thanksgiving. That's when everything kind of kicks into winter mode. People start doing their, their holiday shopping. They start getting their decorations out. So 
Yeah, I mean, the, this sort of notion of seasons, there, there is a cultural element to it, aside from the, the meteorological and the astronomical components. Right. So here we are, and uh, as we mentioned, it's feeling rather summerish here on the banks of Minnehaha Creek in South Minneapolis. But uh, we've got some elements coming in to play that yeah. uh, could uh, create some powerful storms. Correct. So we have, it's actually a pretty energetic, a very fall-like weather system that is developing out on the in the Lee of the Rockies, kind of northern Rockies in uh, Montana. And this is Really, it's the, the low pressure system itself is not the big news. And what that means is what's happening at the surface, the way that the air masses come together, isn't quite as important as what's happening aloft. When you go up a couple miles, that's where the winds really start howling. And there's one of these troughs or dips in the, the mid-level winds, not quite the jet stream, but there's this dip. And in that dip, winds are going to be uh, approaching 80, maybe even 90 miles an hour this evening. And it's those winds aloft that are ushering in colder air that's going to stream over this fairly pleasant and eventually moistening air mass that we're experiencing today. And are going to sustain, produce and sustain and maybe even intensify and organize some pretty strong thunderstorms. Now, those storms are going to develop in Montana and North Dakota today. So this is Monday, Labor Day. But they're really going to get their act together in the evening. Uh, in fact, the ingredients that support it support the strong thunderstorms are probably going to intensify a bit in the in the evening and overnight period. So this isn't, Jim, this isn't like one of those typical summertime or springtime severe weather outbreaks where you're, you're really watching that period between 3 p.m. and 9 p.m. This is actually a nocturnal show. And much of Minnesota, especially I-94 and areas kind of north of there, think in Brainerd Lakes area, St. Cloud, uh, over towards Lake Mille Lacs, and then even into parts of northern Wisconsin. These are the areas that have the greatest risk for large hail, damaging winds, and even some of these, they're called quasi-linear convective system tornadoes. They're the kinds of tornadoes that are a bit hard to spot. They come up rather suddenly, and rather than being associated with supercell thunderstorms, they tend to be associated with uh, these fast-moving lines of thunderstorms. In any case, kind of Everything's on the table tonight, including very heavy rain. And that risk does get down, you know, we could push it into the Twin Cities metro area for sure. Although, again, the greatest risk may be just to the north, but Twin Cities metro area is definitely in play, even as far south and southwest as the Minnesota River. Uh, one of the things we have going on is there is some moisture working into the region. It's going to build in to Iowa and Nebraska today and then into southern Minnesota, including the Twin Cities and St. Cloud area mostly after dark. And if that moist air mass where the dew points rise into the upper 60s, uh, if that actually gets a little healthier than we think, then we could see some of the thunderstorms connect to the surface and you could get strong and severe thunderstorms down along the Minnesota River and into the southern Twin Cities metro area. But in any case, looks like a busy night tonight. Uh, central Minnesota, again, I-94, and north where we have the potential for strong winds, hail, heavy rains, and even some isolated tornadoes. Um, yeah, so it's an interesting way to end the, uh, the cultural summer. Now, of course, this time of the year, we're seeing earlier sunsets, sun setting now around, I think, 750 or something here in the Twin Cities. So we lose that, um, that solar heating. 
Does that have any impact on the storms? Because you're talking about nocturnal storms that yeah. you said may even energize as we get into the post-sunset time uh, frame. Yeah, in this particular case, the, the loss of heating, you know, if there are any thunderstorms in, in southern North Dakota or northern South Dakota this afternoon, those would be potentially connected to that heating. But the, the main batch of storms coming out of Montana and Saskatchewan is going to be moving into an air mass that just doesn't get all that warm today. And so that loss of heating isn't really going to be important for these storms. Uh, and when you add the fact that the moisture is just going to continue to increase as we get into the overnight hours, uh, really, if anything, the, the ingredients supporting this storm event will probably improve after dark tonight. So not quite a typical situation where the, the length of day or the intensity of sunlight really matters all that much. I'm going to have a nice day. You mentioned it's somewhat summer-like, uh, but it's really quite pleasant. It's a, you know, it's a comfortable sh sort of shirt sleeve kind of day or right. short sleeve shirt kind of day. And uh, it doesn't have that oppressive muggy feel of summer. It actually kind of feels like a first day of school. Right. Well, fitting. I just came down here and uh, at my home weather station, we had a dew point of 61 degrees okay. and a temperature of 67. Yeah. So not swelterly at this point, but maybe <laughs> right. Maybe later. We'll see. Yeah. Well, Kenny, we need to talk about Hurricane Dorian, which as we record this is battering the Bahamas. And this is a Category 5 hurricane. It had been packing winds uh, up to 200 miles per hour, which really are tornadic, aren't they? Oh, and, and like yeah. a, like not just a, a, a <laughs> EF0 or an EF1, this is a heavy-duty tornado that would produce winds like that. Yeah, you know, every once in a while, I think that the meteorologists who forecast severe thunderstorms and those who forecast hurricanes, they kind of get together and eye each other up a little bit, kind of look at each other sideways. Like, oh, you think you're hazard is so is so important do you of course tornadoes are capable of producing the strongest winds on earth but those are really rare and really special tornadoes uh, meanwhile uh, a, a kind of typical mid mid-scale uh, hurricane can produce winds that are as strong as most or is most tornadoes but they produce those winds over an area of square miles, multiple, you know, even dozens of square miles. So a large scale much event as opposed to a smaller area. scale event. Yeah, so hurricanes, you know, they release so much energy that they store up from the ocean and the ocean heat, and then they release that energy. And uh, it's just, it, it's an incredible release of energy. It's, you know, much more powerful than, than <laughs> multiple nuclear bombs. And so... Uh, so we can't really compare. Yeah, Hurricane Dorian has been sitting over the northern Bahamas. And in particular, it's been just battering Grand Bahama from late Sunday evening right into Labor Day. And as you mentioned, it's a Category 5 hurricane. Its sustained winds had been up to, oh, 185 miles an hour officially. That's at least what was estimated from the uh, Air, Air Force reconnaissance uh, flights. But the... The uh, wind gusts, which is, uh, think of the wind gust as being, that's sort of the strongest wind you'll observe for a, a few seconds. So it's just a burst of wind. Whereas the sustained winds are, are basically the wind averaged over a minute or more. So to have sustained winds of 185 miles an hour, you must have bursts in there that are much stronger. And the gusts have been uh, 
expected to be, although we don't have any measuring equipment under this thing because it all either gets blown away or gets disabled through loss of power, but the wind gusts have been over 200 miles an hour. And this thing has been remarkably stable sitting right over Grand Bahama. It has not moved very much. So I, I imagine uh, we're going to see some pretty horrific pictures of damage and images of damage and flooding too, because it's not just the winds with these hurricanes. Remember, they also push up on the kind of right side of the eye. So where the where the uh, rotational direction around the eye is the same as the direction of movement. You get this huge wall of water that gets pushed up. The this storm way. surge, Correct. right? Correct. Yeah, that's a storm surge. And any area that has a coast that's roughly perpendicular to that surge just gets wiped out or inundated. And we're talking about 20, 25 feet of storm surge. And, I, you know, when I was a kid, uh, it took a while for me to understand that concept because... They talk, you can kind of picture the ocean and you're wondering, well, is it waves? What is, they call it a wall of water. But just imagine that what the hurricane does is locally, you know, within an area of dozens of square miles, it pushes the height of the ocean up much higher. So it elevates the height of the ocean by 20 or 25 feet. So sea level in those areas essentially rises 20 to 25 feet. Now, of course, in a hundred some mile an hour winds, you also get huge waves or swells on top of that surging ocean. So you might have waves that are an additional 30, 40 or 50 feet high. These things are just massive, but those are the waves themselves are more like gusts and the, uh, the, that surge is more like that kind of sustained wind. So uh, yeah, they're they're taking a beating, and of course, hurricanes also produce an awful lot of rainfall. And so, I kind of think of it in perspective, Jim. We're talking about in Minnesota from some severe thunderstorms tonight. We could see hail that's between two to three inches in diameter. We could see some wind gusts up to 75 miles an hour. Uh, this will be very isolated, and the areas that are hardest hit are going to probably in a narrow swath, narrow by you know, I mean. 5, 10, 20 miles wide, see 2 to 3 inches of rain. This hurricane, by contrast, <laughs> has uh, sustained winds well over 150 miles an hour over an area that's larger than any thunderstorm that we're going to see tonight here in Minnesota. And they have gusts over 200 miles an hour, which is probably stronger than any tornado in the U.S. this year, or at least as strong as any tornado in the U.S. this year. And instead of two to three inches of rain, two to three feet. <laughs> wow. That's, That's slightly different. I so, mean, we really don't have a, we don't have experience living in this part of the country no. to even appreciate yeah. how much rain that is. Yeah, it's a tremendous amount of rain. I mean, our biggest rain that we have on record in the Twin Cities is 10 inches from the, the superstorm in 1987. And that was... That was catastrophic. And, you know, we find six, seven inches of rain can be pretty devastating here in Minnesota. So we're talking about a storm system that produces three to four times wow. <laughs> these, uh, these near record and record amounts. So it's, uh, it's, it's something to watch. And, uh, you know, the, well, I guess the kind of philosophical piece is so i don't know how long you've been paying attention to dorian but forecasters have been tracking it for almost a week, about a week now right and you may have noticed uh, if you went back five days four days it looked like dorian was going to make a direct hit on florida right and now 
some of the forecast, most of the forecast models show it's going to come close to Florida, but not going to hit any part of the U.S. In fact, it looks like it's just going to kind of hug the coast, go within 50, maybe 100 miles of the coast as it sort of turns north and eventually northeast and takes a track that really mirrors the, the shape of the U.S. coastline. And that change in track, I mean, think about it, that change in track is only a change in how our numerical forecast models that take in new information and assimilate data, how they understand this storm system to evolve. They, it's not an actual change in the storm itself. Remember, we're talking about the future, which we don't know. So this is, I've heard meteorologists saying that, that Dorian shifted tracks. Well, that's not I don't find that, that's not fair to say Dorian's just doing whatever Dorian was going to do. And we were just trying to, the forecasters are just trying to get a sense of what that is by using models. And that sense of what Dorian's going to do has changed. Dorian itself hasn't changed at all. And as meteorologists and forecasters, we often forget that, that the thing that we're analyzing, whether it's a hurricane or a blizzard or even a severe thunderstorm complex that we're trying to get a handle on, in the models, it's very different from the real thing that actually happens. And all we can do with the models is try and sort of approximate and get the best prediction we can, but the information we get is going to change. That's uh, really different. That's really different from what the weather system actually does. So when the, when the forecast changes, we shouldn't be blaming the weather system for changing. We should be Thanking our own, you know, somewhat <laughs> inferior sources of information, right. which, you know, we've been constantly trying to improve and catch up with uh, over the last years and decades. So uh, this little bit of philosophical nonsense yes. has been brought to you by uh, <laughs> apparently my over-labored education, Jim. <laughs> Weather and philosophy, climate <laughs> yes. and philosophy. I love it. Well, we should mention, too, that uh, there's some data that's being collected nationwide to help people, researchers, better understand what's happening with Dorian and hurricanes in general. And that's uh, various offices of the National Weather Service that routinely send up weather balloons are actually sending up some extra ones to gather more data, including the Twin Cities National Weather Service Forecast Office. And we should mention that typically that office and others send up balloons twice a day, once at 7 a.m. and then again at 7 p.m. And occasionally there will be a special launch if there might be a impending severe weather or something. And these balloons give an upper air uh, analysis of the atmosphere, which is extremely important because it helps to predict instability, yeah. uh, among other things. So what I found was interesting, Kenny, and I have to share this story. I uh, was out for a balloon launch once at the National Weather Service office in Chanhassen, and I always assumed they were helium balloons. So we're walking out to the little building where the balloon is inflated, and I see, like, you know, danger explosive, and I find out it's hydrogen. So we, we should assure everyone, though, because these things get launched, and they do eventually burst, and then the uh, little equipment packet comes down on a parachute, uh, sometimes it gets returned because you can drop it in a mailbox. Other times it may get stuck in a tree or in water or who knows where. But we should assure people, even though there's hydrogen, the balloon will not go Hindenburg on them. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, it's, 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 it's a much simpler mechanism than... <laughs> yes, oh, the humanity. Yes, yes. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, the... The weather balloon launches are really interesting. The main thing that I think the meteorologists at the, for, at the Hurricane Forecast Center want to 
gatherers, they want to know what's happening with the upper level winds. And the better, the more data they can get, the, the better they'll understand the eventual track of Dorian. One of the things that's so different between hurricanes and our typical weather systems is the speed of motion. What we're talking about tonight, Jim, that's coming through at almost highway speeds. We've got, you know, thunderstorms that are going to be moving 40, 50 miles an hour, and they're cruising in on winds aloft of 70, 80 miles an hour. Uh, that is really different from, you go out over the Caribbean right now, and if you send a balloon up there, the, the winds aloft are maybe 10 or 15 or 20 miles an hour. They don't have a jet stream. And that's one of the reasons these hurricanes just slowly trudge, usually westward, with, those, with the winds that come out of the east. Um, and they, they don't get influenced by things like our upper-level winds until they get into a region where those upper-level winds actually exist and have you know velocities that are uh, much stronger than you find over the tropics. So the eventual track of the hurricane is going to be influenced by how many of our sort of mid-latitude uh, type weather systems uh, it interacts with and how strong those systems are. And the best way to understand what might affect Dorian down the road, and we're talking in two, three, even four days, is to get a sense of, well, what's happening in the mid-levels of the atmosphere uh, in the areas upwind from that hurricane because the air masses that are upwind of the hurricane now are going to end up influencing wherever it is in three or four days. So it's, it's helpful information, and of course, forecasters really want to try and avoid missing signs of something like Hurricane or Superstorm Sandy, which kind of went up the coast and then took a sharp left and did a couple things that were pretty hard to forecast at the time. And so the more data they can get, uh, the better they'll feel about having confidence in their forecast. So Kenny, once we get beyond the potential severe weather tonight, what does the rest of the week and into the next weekend look like for us? Well, honestly, we're in a we're in kind of a benign but you know active fall-like pattern. So it looks like we're going to have some more rain. Nothing really major on on Thursday, probably Thursday morning. It kind of depends on where you are. But mostly temperatures are going to be in the 70s this week. It's going to be cool. It's going to feel like the first week of school or the first week of September in any case. And then next weekend, uh, that weather system that comes through on Thursday is going to bring in some much cooler air. We could have frost again in northern Minnesota, even, even in central Minnesota. Could have one of the coolest nights we've had since May in, uh, in southern Minnesota. That would be, I think, you know, Friday night and especially Saturday night. And, uh, and then it looks like we have another weather system coming for next week, but I imagine I'll talk to you before then. So, so we've got the severe weather potential, including heavy rain, hail, strong winds, and maybe even those isolated uh, kind of oddball tornadoes tonight in Minnesota, nor especially along and north of I-94. And, uh, and then we get into a kind of fall-like pattern with uh, intermittent rain, and showers over the next week, but mostly nice weather over the, ne over the next week for that first week of September. So this afternoon, and especially in the Twin Cities tonight, keep an eye on the weather, an ear or an eye on whatever source of weather information you tend to rely on, and uh, be cautious. 
Right. Yeah, yeah. Most people should get their afternoon activities in just fine. It really isn't until around and after sunset that we start looking off to the northwest, starting in northwestern Minnesota and then again tracking east-southeastward along and near I-94 uh, later tonight. And then, you know, for a lot, a lot of people are just going to sleep through whatever happens. I'll right. tell you, Jim, I will not be sleeping through that. No, Kenny, I know you will not. <laughs> Nor will I, more than likely. <laughs> well, anyway, we will have a recap of the severe weather event when we next get together for way over our heads. And Kenny, uh, great as always chatting with you. Yeah, nice talking with you. Enjoy the rest of your day, uh, everyone. Uh, take care tonight, and we'll talk to you next week. This is Way Over Our Heads, a weather and climate podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld is a climatologist. And um, have a great Labor Day. Yeah, you also, Jim. Thanks a lot.